Welcome to Do A Blessing CNS Church London's podcast, sharing the good news weekly. We hope you are blessed by today's message. The heart, the glory floods the heart. The glory floods the heart. Hallelujah. I will start from here. When you read Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, the Bible from verse 11, he said, He himself gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, and some teachers. He said, The job of all these people is for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come into a unit. Into sorry, verse 13. I don't know who's with the slides till we all come into, into unity of faith of the knowledge of the Son of God into a perfect measure of Christ. Now, what first that points out to me is that God is saying some are pastors, some are prophets, some are evangelists, but He said their job is to equip the saints. So that the saints can do the work of ministry. So if I ask anybody here, define ministry for me. We would naturally, the way we define ministry is ah, that is that pastor's ministry. But the Bible, in fact, the Bible did not even say they had ministry. It said they are gifts, and their job is to enable people for their ministries. So at that very first looking at it, we come to this first battling position where we are actually thinking, what is the definition of ministry? What is the definition of ministry? Because the Bible says, he, he, he appoints some as pastors, some as prophets, some as um, evangelists, some as um, apostles, so that they can equip the saints for the work of ministry. And when you see pastors, everybody say, ah, that man, who, who, who are those in ministry? The people will say, ah, no, it's, 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 it's the pastors. Always oh, the prophets. And I feel that understanding this particular thing has a key to what God wants to do, especially in these last days. That we understand how what does God really see when He calls ministry. So this particular scripture clearly says that it is not everybody that would be a pastor or a prophet or a whatever it is, but that does not mean they are not in ministry. Because I don't have a ministry. What do you mean? You're certain to say so because if you and I exclude all of this. Functions, we don't believe anybody's in ministry. Because ministries are pastors, prophets, apostles. Let's even go back to, to Exodus chapter 19, when God saw the people of Israel and he said to them in Exodus 19, verse 6, he said, You shall be to me a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. 
and this word you shall speak to the children of Israel. What God was saying is that every one of you, the whole of Israel, every one of you are going, your job is, your, your job is, I'm not calling you priests. That is what you are called to do. But when you now go to Exodus chapter 30, verse 30, Exodus chapter 34, verse 20, see what Jesus was talking to these same people. He talked to as priests. Hallelujah. So can somebody read verse 20 and 21? Verse 20 says, But for the son, yes. But the firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. Mm -hmm. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem. And none shall appear before me empty handed. So um, we're going to read verse 21. It's not. Six days you shall work. Okay, sorry, because I can't. But on the seventh day you shall rest. So basically, this is the priest he was talking to. He said, When you come and do offering, as a priest, your job is to do off, bring offering, create offering. Sorry, do offering before God. But he said, You know what? Six days you shall work. So as far as God is concerned, career was not a luxury, working was not something you do when you feel like. As far as God is concerned, part of his commandment for his children is that you shall walk. So, Christians don't walk because you want to earn money alone. Christians walk because it is a commandment of God. So, when God was speaking to them, he said, on the seventh day is the day you rest. Six days you walk. These are the same people you call priests. So what was God saying? He said, I know, but we are priests, sir. We should be in church. No, no, no. I didn't say you should walk. You won't be here. All of you, I want you out walking. So the question would be, where are they supposed to perform their priesthood job? If God has said six days, go out and walk. We need to start to kind of say, okay, let me just point this to us. What is the first way God introduced Himself to us in the Bible? What is the first character of God that we saw? Did God first introduce Himself as Spirit of Rain? Okay, yeah, that was the Spirit of God, but when God Himself was going to come on scene, you know, you had God the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. So when the Holy Spirit was at work first, but when God first of all introduced himself, he didn't introduce himself as a holy God. He did not introduce himself as a loving God. He introduced himself as a God at work. The first attribute of God that you saw was a man that was working. So before you come to know God as an holy God, God as a righteous God, the first God that you saw was the man that was working. The man that was creating things. That was his first introduction to the world. How have we now come to a point <laughs> when the only thing we grab about God is holiness? And people have forgotten that the first introduction of God, he didn't introduce himself as, as an holy God. The first introduction was the God that was at work. Creating things. 
That is why when he appointed man, there's only one thing he said about man. He said, he, uh, I think he's just stopped. He said, he said he had, he had not reigned yet. Sorry, it's not okay. He had not reigned because God has not found a man to till the ground. So the first introduction of a man that the Bible was talking about, God was talking about him tilling the ground. When he was going to introduce woman, he said, you need somebody that will help you to do this job. That was his, that was his, that was God's first introduction. Genesis 1 to 3. Before then, that's when you began to say, oh, this God is loving, oh, holy God, and things like that. It's good. But that's not the way he first of all introduced himself to you. May God help us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as we, as we look forward, there was a time in John chapter 9, sorry, Luke chapter 9, verse 47. The Bible says that, the Bible um, 47 to 50. The thing, what happened here was that you had the disciples of Jesus. They now saw some people who were casting out demons. And they told Jesus, they said, they said, these people are not, are not, we, we, we have not seen them. They are not apostles. They have not walked with us. Jesus, we just saw some people Casting out demons in your name. Jesus said, no, no, no. He said, he said, you should stop them. Jesus said, no, you can't stop them. He said, if they are not against us, they are for us. What, what is the import of that? Is that the apostles taught that to you, for you to be able to, to, to do ministry, you must be part of the two of that. Jesus is saying, oh yeah, uh, I, I have chosen you, I have called you, I have called you. But they now saw people that Jesus did not call. But we're also doing ministry in the life in the time of Jesus. Jesus said, Yes, you just think that it's only you 12 that I've called. That is the problem. There are people out there that has that they are not in inverted command because the disciples were sleeping and waking up with Jesus. But the people you see here were not sleeping and sleeping in the same room with him. That's why the disciples said that we saw someone. So that means something that somebody that they did not even know. And Jesus said, yes, they are, they are basically saying that yes, they are also in ministry. Because if you ask the apostles, who are those that can cast out demons? They say, no, it is us. Peter, I know, I, I know the God of my calling. I know when I was called. Jesus said, that's not how it works. May God grant us grace in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. See, this is the way the apostles saw walk. It says, bond servants be obedient. Uh, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 and 6. It said, bond servants be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. That means your bosses at work, your teachers, your lecturers. He said, fear them with trembling, with sincerity of heart as to Christ. Now, verse 6, he said, not with high service and men pleasures. He said, doing the will of God from the heart. With, verse 7 says, with good will, doing service as as to as to the Lord, not unto men. 
because we know, verse says, because we know that God is going to recover, He's going to pay you back for what good you did. So when He said, He said, servants, when you are at work, you are in service. That's what He said to them. Because you know that God is there coming to reward you for everything that you do. He actually used the word in verse 7, service as to the Lord. So when you are at in your workplace, at a football pitch or whatever it is that you're doing, God, the Bible is saying that, remember that, see, just the same way you are in service here, your service does not end at one. Because at every time you are standing before God, and you are in service. That's why I don't really encourage many people calling sick to come to church. Because God is in you are in service there <laughs> before God. It is it is at times it is it is ignorance, I believe. Except there are issues whereby, okay, you came to church, you were in trance, whatever it is, and things like that. But Nothing is wrong with you. You now tell somebody that I am sick. Why? Because I want to go to church. If this scripture is right, that means you have lied to Jesus to come and serve Jesus. <laughs> I know that some of these things may be quite challenging to preach for pastors generally because you feel how the more you keep people here the more no, that's, it's better if let people know the truth and you know, let, let them support themselves I would, I would, we will come to the point the role of the church but what I'm saying is that as far as the apostles were concerned ministry when you are at work you are in ministry God is there and is rewarding you according to what you do. So don't, first of all, look at the paycheck. Remember, that's what the Bible says in verse 8. He said, knowing this. So that means that make sure this is at the back of your mind. Whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord. Whether slave or free. Jesus If God were to pay us back for every good <laughs> that you have done at work, may God help us. You know, at times that's why people are praying for promotion. And you pray, God promotes me, God promotes me, I'm going to say, for what? <laughs> I was there, I was the one you were serving. Forget about, now please note that he was talking about slaves. So there were people that were treated on Alapina, um, unjustly. And Paul did not say, because you're a slave, get out of the place. He said, because you're a slave, stay there and do your work as a Christian. No, just recently I was just meditating on it and 
At times when you read the Bible, you would understand that, you know, but, but what we call Christianity, you know, the scripture, what the Bible, if we go by what the scriptures are saying. So, basically, you know, it did not say here, as a slave, pray that God will make you the leader. He said, Paul said, no, as a slave, stay there and serve who whole lot That's what he said. You know, in, at a time in England, I think 1805 or so, the, the man that promoted the the um, the slavery and the uh, slavery stuff at Parliament was a Christian. In fact, he, he got so convicted about God, he had he had so much knowledge, and he wanted to become a pastor. And he came to the church then, and and the pastor told him that no, your your job is not to be a pastor. You need to go to the Parliament and stand there to minister. If he had become a pastor, people would still be in slavery to today. But because the pastor was sick, had the God to say to him, because you can, you this is not your own platform. Your platform is in, so when one of these they were doing together is that after he, each evening, him and the pastor, they come together and they pray. And the pastor shares some things with him, and when he puts them into laws, and they, were, they began to promote it. So the pastor was saying, we need to bring an end to slavery. You'll be pushing it from the parliament, I'll be pushing it from the church. How much have we lost out? Because everybody's clamoring for the pulpit. May God help us in Jesus' name. Now, I just wanted to also point out to you, the Bible says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and every other thing shall be added to you. Now, the, the, do you know what is interesting about that scripture? Is that when God said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, he did not tell you what second to seek, what next to seek after that. Did Jesus get it wrong? Because as far as he's concerned, once you seek the kingdom of God, there's nothing else to seek. Now, the question now is that, what does it mean when he said the kingdom of God? Because most of the time, people do not really understand what Jesus means by the kingdom of God. I'm just going to just point out something to you. Can I have just, just the next slide? Just no, oh, okay. Amen. Amen. Um, before that, there should be... Um, no, okay. It's on my slide, I don't know why, but what I'm trying to say is that the kingdom of God, there are times when Jesus uses the kingdom of heaven and there are times he will use the kingdom of God. Because to Jesus, in the mind of Jesus, there are two different things. There is the kingdom of heaven and there is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of, of God, sorry, the kingdom of God includes the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God by Christians. So as far as God is concerned, the kingdom of heaven is a combination of the two. Sorry, the kingdom of God is a combination of the two. So when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, he's talking about the kingdom of heaven and also God increasing his kingdom to us. 
So when Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God, he was not only talking about the kingdom of heaven, he was also talking about the kingdom of God being expanded through us. You will see the Bible says, in Matthew chapter 16, verse 9, it says, it says, I will give you the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on heart is bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on heart is loosed in heaven. He also said, Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, he says, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and you become as a child of God, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So what I'm saying is that in the mind of God, when, when Jesus was talking about the kingdom of God, he was not only talking about the kingdom of heaven, but he was talking about the kingdom of God combined in the two together. Combining the two together. Not the next one. Amen. So I don't know if you can see this. You have the kingdom of God. You have the kingdom of heaven. It includes the kingdom of heaven and the body of Christ. So when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God, he's talking about these two brought together. But most of the time, when we, that is why you see Jesus use kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God. It's not because there was no other word that he could use. That's why he used the second word. So may God grant us grace in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So we're getting there. So we've now discovered that, you know, the kingdom of God does not only include the kingdom of heaven, but it also includes me. And I am responsible for the expansion of it. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7 tells us, it says, The increase of his government shall know no end. That means that the, the increase of the kingdom of God shall know no end. So, can I go to the previous slide? Yeah, no, done. So, please, can I ask you a question? If the kingdom of God will know no end, which one is going to increase in size? The body of Christ. So when God is saying the kingdom of God, is talk, this is already established. This is the one that's going to increase. May God help us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. So let's just look at a couple of things. And as we look at the kingdom of heaven and because this because this is established the same principle applies to this. That's why Jesus said the Bible says forever O Lord your word is settled in heaven. And when you were reading this, um, the uh, prayer, the Lord's prayer, said, Our Father who is in heaven, I will be thy name. Your kingdom come on earth as it is already in heaven. So when Jesus was talking about how the kingdom of heaven is, it started by, when you go to Matthew chapter 13, verse, 
verse 31. He said, another parable is said to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard, a mustard seed which a man took in the field and he sowed. Which indeed is the smallest seed but grows into a greater herbs and becomes a tree so that birds of the hair can come unto it. Then Jesus used another parable again. He said, the kingdom of heaven is like a woman that is a, a woman is sorry, the kingdom of heaven is like a leaven which a woman took and hid and hid in three measures of meal till it is leavened. Now what he's saying is the kingdom of God is like you know when you're baking cake. The kingdom of God is like that um yeast that you put into it. What is more greater? The bread, is, the flour is more than the yeast. But he said, it's as if that small thing, but when you begin to put that small yeast into it, you begin to see the impact of it as heat comes upon it and it begins to grow. He said again that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed on earth. But that seed comes in a very insignificant way. But within that seed, it has the ability to become a great land. So what are we learning from that? An example is Joseph. Joseph was just a slave. But he was planted in the hearts of Egypt. By God. And as that mustard seed began to grow, it began to fill the whole house of Potiphar. Then it began to fill the prison yard. Before you know it, it became the person over the whole of Egypt. Where did it start from? From being a slave. Most of the time, we do not understand how the kingdom of God works. When Jesus was about to leave, he did not leave, he did not give, he did not have a million followers. He only had 12. Why? Because the kingdom of God starts from that which is very insignificant. What which God was laying in my heart, you know, I won't say in my heart, it was a dream a couple of days back. And it was, as I woke up, it was particularly telling, he said, people have the opinion that my kingdom starts from the big, but it starts from a seed. And most of the time, because people have the kingdom of God, even within them, because they look at the big things, they put aside their seed. So you had Joseph in his days. The kingdom of God is a yeast. Like a yeast, sorry. May God help us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to also illustrate something to us 
checking right. I'm just, um, I want to not say something to us also. Matthew chapter, I know when we read John chapter 6, you see it also there. You know, have, have you heard the five loaves, story about the five loaves of bread and two fishes? Amen. Amen. So, there was five loaves of bread and two fishes. And Jesus asked his disciples, said, what are they going to eat? So they have 5,000 men. The Bible records men then. So that means 5,000 men. You have more women than men. In every church, there's more men than men. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. So you can multiply that by two. So you can say 10,000 women. Or, yeah, let's say 5,000 women. So you have children also then. So you're talking about roughly, let's say, 15,000 in all. And they have five loaves of bread and two fishes. Are we together? Amen. Now, Okotoshua, please come. I just want to illustrate something to us. I know we've read that story well, and I want you to... Let's first of all read it, um, 17, Matthew 14, 17 to 19. He says, and he said to them, we have, we have here only five loaves of bread and two fishes. Then he said to them, bring, bring them to me. Verse 19, he commanded the multitudes to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves of bread and two fishes. Looking up to heaven, he blessed them, broke, he, he blessed them, broke, he blessed them and, and broke and gave the loaves to his disciples. And the disciples gave it to the multitude. Okay. Did you all read that? Does that make sense? So basically, he is my disciple. Hallelujah. Let me have the privilege of being Jesus. Amen. So, I gave he had, these are the 5,000 people. Let's, let's assume you know, like 100. So you have five loaves of bread. I've asked you when you said five loaves of bread and two fishes. So I now said to, you, to them, everybody sit down. We're going to feed you. This is what Jesus did. He took the five loaves of bread and two fishes and he raised it up, gave thanks. Please notice that the Bible says when he gave, came down, he gave it to them. What did Jesus give to them? Five loaves of bread and two fish. That's what he gave to them. As, do you think that Jesus will carry 5,000? <laughs> it wasn't mighty ego. <laughs> the Bible says he just took that five loaves of bread and two fishes and he gave it to them. If you were his disciples, what would you say? What am I going to do with this? <laughs> Sir, you still five loaves of bread are two fishes. They say, yeah, go and feed them. And the Bible says, he did not give them the food himself. He gave it to the disciples. He said, go and feed them. And by the time, I can imagine him going and looking at the fathers of men and saying, Jesus, are you, are you sure this is still what we are doing? And he said, no, just go ahead and do it. I don't know if you want to beat Peter on that day. <laughs> You have 5,000 hungry men. 
that are staring at you as if, as if you know, the Bible said they've been there all day. They now want to go somewhere to go and find food. He said, don't worry, sit down. So Jesus now said, okay, take the five loaves of bread and two fishes. I've blessed it. Go and feed them. If it were you, would you, would you go and feed them? He said, excuse me, sir, you don't get, I can see the bread. It is still five loaves of bread. But as they began to take out of it and give it to people, they saw that it was increasing. Jesus did not increase it in his own hands. He deliberately gave it to them. Why? Because when he told them initially, let's even see the mistake that they made. Go to verse 17. The Bible says, and he said to them, we, we, okay, sorry, if you, um, sorry, it, it wasn't included here, but when you, when you read, um, a previous, Jesus said to them, what shall we feed them? These people are hungry, what shall we feed them? What they had, Jesus said, what shall you feed them? Most of the time when God speaks to you, you think he's talking to you, but when Jesus said, what shall we feed them? He has also included himself in that equation. But Zabi said, there is nothing for us to feed them. And all I'm just saying, God bless you, sir. All I'm just saying is that as he, what he gave to them was like that kingdom of God that God is dropping into your own hands. And you see the 5,000 faces. And you go, this is the five days of bread and two fishes. God, until you increase it, I'm not ready to go. Does this make sense? God help us in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So that's why Jesus was saying that the kingdom of God is like a yeast. It doesn't, it, when you see it, it doesn't look like something that can take over everything. But as you, as you put it to, to use, it begins to rise. It begins to rise. But imagine you have all your yeast and you put it somewhere. And you pray over it. Jesus, let this yeast rise. Yeast is never meant to rise on its own. You mix it with the bread. And as it flows through it, that is when it begins to react. I would... Give you another illustration as we draw this to a close. Ezekiel 47. It's a scripture that we normally read. I don't know, but I don't say we normally, but people, people that are very, you know, um, that are very spiritual talk about it. Ezekiel 47. The Bible talks about a water that flows from the temple. And that water flows through from the altar. It flows out of the temple. You see that in verse 1 and verse 2. Then verse 8 says, when that water begins to flow, it flows down into the cities, into the streets, and it flows into rivers. And as it flows into that river, anything in that river comes alive. Does this make sense? So, you have a stream that flows from the altar, 
in the temple and flows outside. And it begins to touch every place. That is powerful, isn't it? Amen. But when you now put it in context with what Jesus will put it as, now, he says in John chapter 7, that's 30, 37. Sorry, I will need you again. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. So, he says here, he says, on the last day, of a great fear. Jesus stood and cried out, If anybody tests, let him come to me and I'll give him a drink. And I'll, and, I'll, and I'll give him a drink. Verse 38 He who believes in me, the scripture said, out of him shall flow the rivers of living water. Please, what did Jesus say? I'm going to give to him a drink. Can you drink a river? No, I guess not. Amen. But Jesus said, like the kingdom of God, that's the yeast, I will just give you a little to drink. And as you go on, that water I've given you will become a river. Ezekiel 47. The Bible, the Bible calls you the temple of God. And as that water flows through in Ezekiel 47. Therefore, that flows through the temple and it flows out into the community. So if, as the Bible says, he is the temple of God and Jesus gives him water to drink and Jesus said in that verse 38, out of him rivers will begin to flow. So as he steps into his workplace, he floods the place. As he steps into any environment, he floods the place. Why? Because that is how the kingdom of God works. You give them a little, and that little turns how to be a leader. But do you know the challenge? If he doesn't realize, if I've given him water to drink, and God pushes him into an area where it's dry, and God is saying, people need water, in this place. People need your knowledge. People need your insight in this place. And you are saying, no, 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 no. I don't, um, I don't think I can. Do you know the way to, to get what out of this, um, out of this person? Not this person. Out of, if, if it's soaked up water, how do you do it? You press him down. You apply pressure. And the water will do what? Will come out. The only one in this place that everything is going on is because God is saying, if you will not pour water, you know what? We will apply pressure until that water comes out. So God is saying, I don't want to always dwell in a physical location. You are now my temple. As I have given you water, you go out with that water and you release it into your environment. Does this make sense? God bless you, sir. So what is the work of the pastors and the prophets and the apostles? To give you water. And you take it out. You flood the environment. 
Does this make sense? And that is where this prophecy comes to pass. You know, as we said, our topic is glory will flood the heart. And the Bible says, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, it says, For the heart will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters covers the heart. The knowledge of the glory of God will fill the heart as the waters cover the heart. So how would that knowledge fill the heart? Is when people are filled up and they go out and they fill out the environment. In your workplace, in your career, in your family, you step into the place knowing there is something you have received and you are about to flood the environment. It could be in technology, it could be in wisdom of knowing how to, how to build things or whatever it is. I'm just going to show you one scripture. Um, Second Chronicles, I, be I believe. Um, the Bible says that the, this young man the Bible says he sought the Lord in the days of Zechariah, who had Second Chronicles chapter um, chapter twenty six. Sorry, I'm just going to just we'll have to open our Bible to get that Second Chronicles chapter twenty six. Just want to point out something to us. Verse, verse 5. 2 Chronicles 26, verse 5. He sought God in the days of Zechariah. He sought God in the days of Zechariah. Who had understanding in the visions of God. Yeah. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. So, basically, the Bible says that he sought God in the days of of Zachariah and God made him prosper. Please, can I ask, can we see what God made him prosper heart? Now he went out and made war against the Philistines. Where are you now? Verse 6. No, please, can you just go because of our time? Just go to verse, um, verse 10. Also, he built towers in the desert. Mm hmm dug many wells, but he had much livestock, yep. both in the lowlands and in the plains. Yep. He also had farmers and vine dressers yep. in the mountains, and in Carmel, for he loved the soil. Go to verse 15. And he made devices in Jerusalem, yep. invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners. So basically, he was drawing up things. He was drawing up te technological things was coming. Sorry, yeah, technological things was coming up in his mind. The Bible says he gave it to men and he invented things, weapons of war. He was one that first of all invented. You know when you see, I've heard Troy before. He may look at it to you now, but in those days it was a new invention. 
when you see a man when so the way they do the bomb and they put the bomb at one side of the and there's this, a, a sling that just something that just shows it to the other side this guy was the guy that started the invention but where did he get his water from from the priest as he was in the church and the priest was pouring into him he became something happened inside of him that he began to look at the wall wall the the, the wall uh, the wall field and he began to say you know we need to construct this we need to build this we need to build that we need to build this the bible says that he was he was building um defense mechanisms for jerusalem and the last verse says sorry the last verse 15 the last sentence says that it says his fame spread far and wide and the god god gave him marvelous help and he became very powerful people knew this guy that you know he was so quick in his in inventing new things and that is what i'm what that, that is what we are talking about that when the water comes into you when you are fed with water it becomes a river and in whatever shape or form that is for you it just you go out in your own field and you flood the place. That is how the glory of God floods the heart as the glory of as that is just the way the scripture is. As rivers cover the heart, so the glory of God floods everywhere. One important thing as we heard this, Jesus made a crucial comment. He said, the challenge is that I cannot pour a new wine into an old skin. Not that I'm not ready to flood the heart, but I need this skin to change. That means that until a new life is received from Christ, no matter how much you have, God flood the heart. It's saying, change the skin first. The Bible says, if a man be in Christ, he is a new creation. then the wine can be freely poured into it, ready to flow his environment. So if you're here and you're still far away from Jesus, they say, don't even bother praying about use me to flow the heart. Your first prayer should be create in me a new heart, O oh Lord. Let us rise up. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. Have a blessed week.